So it is the first ever live podcast Q&A for Evolve and I am absolutely buzzing to have Keegan Hurst here who is going to listen to a, a, a little bit of an intro about himself um, and then we're going to delve deep, we're going to ask some questions, speak to Keegan about his mission going forward after being an actual league player. He, he shares a, a similarity in the fact that he's just stopped playing rugby um, around the same time as me. Um, Keegan Hurst is a men's online coach and ex-rugby league player. Keegan pierced through the stigma of being a gay man in a stereotypically macho sport in 2015. Keegan is an old friend of the podcast I've coming on with his pal and Coronation Street star, Anthony Cotton. And Keegan's mission is now to help gay men build incredible bodies, a rock-solid mindset and unstoppable confidence. Keegan, how the hell are you, mate? Really good, mate. Actually, all things considering. Uh, yeah. yeah, good, thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, um, no worries, mate. It's good to see you. Yeah, it's good, it's good to see anybody, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rather than through an Insta- the lens of Instagram. So, yeah. Um, yeah, mate, good to see you. And, you know, congratulations on an amazing career as well. Some time we cut short, but um, congratulations wow. on everything you achieved in there, mate. Thank you, mate. We've, we've traded a few texts, haven't we? Um, I yeah. think... I think we were chatting about it probably a couple of months ago about the the concept of it and probably the writing's been on the wall for quite a few months for me and um, making it official and, and making it so has been something that I've I've had to do I guess and um, that's very similar to you mate in terms of bringing the curtain down on your career mate can you tell us a bit about that decision why you came to it and and how you're adjusting now to a, a new life. Yeah, um, so uh, I was thinking about this the other day. I actually played my last game um, last February, unbeknownst to me at the time. Yeah. Um, but I, I knew I was just going to, I was I was thinking I was going to finish last season, I was going to do this season. It was going to be, I, I had a testimonial in the bag. I was going to go back to battling my hometown club and do another year. So I knew I was close to the end, not because anything physically physically I'm in a pretty good spot Touchwood I've been lucky with injuries um, I just found that I was just doing it for because it had become a habit because it had become part of, of what I was used to doing and I wasn't getting the same sense of fulfilment out of it I was becoming I mean as you said we've spoke a bit about this but I was certainly feeling a bit disillusioned with the game uh, with the people that run the game whether that's the governing body whether that's clubs um, just certain people's approach to the expendability of, of players um, physically and mentally um, and and it just wasn't sitting right with me at all and I just thought you know I, I've come to a point now given everything that happened in the last year um, obviously not being able to play rugby allowed me to lean into the coaching um, which I've, I've absolutely loved um I've absolutely loved. So it, it just seemed like that it wasn't really a difficult decision in the end to to not go back. It just felt like the the juice wasn't worth the squeeze anymore. Um, mm. So yeah, so new, new chapter, which obviously was a little bit or has been a little bit difficult with the identity shift. You know, Keegan's rugby player. Um, but other than that, um, it's it's all gone pretty pretty well. Brilliant, mate. I, I, I... Something I mentioned actually in the interview is actually um, after announcing retirement and stuff, I think everyone's had a period this year where they've understood what it is to be 
not to be a rugby player, if that makes sense with the COVID lockdown. And, you know, usually you're off season, you've sort of, you've got a bit of an eye on, on coming back and sort of keeping fit, keeping the diet right. And, and you know, you still got that, that goal to come back and you have the date, but for a long time, we didn't have a date um, to come back and, and, and what, and whatnot. Um, do you think that was sort of helped in the transition for you? 100%. hundred yeah. um, percent. Because it's, we grow up with it, don't we? Especially us lads growing up, in, you know, in West Yorkshire where everybody either plays rugby league or football. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's been part of who I am since I was 11 years old. It, just everybody does it. Um, and I've been lucky enough to do it as as a, as a career, to do it into adulthood, to get paid for it. Um, so it's like letting go. It feels like it's letting go a part of who you are. It feels like it's letting go a part of of what's made you. Um, and and that if you didn't have it, somehow life would be less. And then suddenly, we got everybody got to experience what it was like not getting battered, you know, through the week and play, yeah. having to recover from a game, and yeah. you know, having to put up with people spouting at you and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And suddenly, I thought, Do you know what, life's not that bad without rugby league, actually. So, <laughs> um, it, it certainly helped with the decision. Yeah, yeah, that's it's it's very similar. Um, I'm actually thinking today, like. I can't do much exercise and stuff at the minute anyway. And, you know, last time I did weights is a long time ago. And, and actually the, 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 the feeling that you, you broach when you train that hard and you, you made to train that hard, but you, you, you sort of focus on doing it hard. You feel like you're going to die. Or you feel like it's slipping. There's been so many times I've been training. I'm like, wow, this, I never thought I'd get to this level. Um, and then obviously the, the aches and the pains come and, and all that sort of stuff comes as well. And today I was thinking, flipping it, um, you know what? I'm, I'm moving a bit better and I'm not aching as much and my joints start creaking as much. And, you know, I guess I'm 27 to, to stop. It's quite early to stop finishing and, and my head's flipping a bit haywire at the minute. But it's it's different, in a different feeling. And, and it's almost an enlightenment, an enlightenment into what it is to, to feel a bit different. Um, yeah. So completely agree, completely agree with that, mate. Um, I want to ask, mate, we spoke a little bit about on the last podcast, but this is a big thing and, and with mentality we talk about going beyond stigma and, and any sort of stigma, mental health um, or, or anything real, we, we try and sort of go past that and, and speak about things where people can be more comfortable and, and sort of talk about it, live it and, and progress beyond it. Um, how did you find it, not intro I mentioned, how did you find it piercing through the stigma of being a gay man in, in such a historically stigmatised sport um, in terms of being so macho and, and being so brutal. How did you find that? Um, I think when people ask the, this question or a question like this is, they expect me to have some really enlightened answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but the answer is, I was just, I was just at a point where I was fed up of not being me anymore. Um, mm. And I was, I was fed up of of having to to hide that or to pretend, um, because you know, as we all know, when we're not when we're not on point with everything, where we kind of hiding one aspect of us and wh- whatever that might be, it might be that we're struggling with something at home, relationships not going well. It can, it can be something small. It can be something big, like like your sexuality. Um, 
but we know we're not fully on it. We're not fully present. We're not fully living life. And I guess I kind of got used to that. And then I got to a point where I just thought, do you know what? I don't, I'm not, I, I, I guess I kind of got close to rock bottom and I thought, what's the worst that can happen? So once I told friends and family and everything and all the lads at rugby knew, I didn't really care about Joe blogs in the street, you know, finding out. And, and then it just, it just, I know it was a big deal in the press, but you know, within, you know what it's like staying in a, in a changing room. Somebody gets a bit of, a bit of notoriety about one thing or they do well, you know, someone gets an award or whatever. And then it's, you know, the next week it's old news. Yeah. Um, and and that was the case with, with me coming out. It was, it happened. Everyone was chuffed. And then it was old news. And I think it got to a point where the lads were kind of like, God, are you still peddling that? Um, <laughs> so it, it was, it was just, it was just me being me. And I think what, what's been interesting for me, certainly over the last five, six years, certainly over even this last year from year or two with getting close to retirement is the is the yes there's the thing of saying I'm gay and as accepting it which was difficult for me to do at first like I literally couldn't say it out loud it's kind of sticking my throat mm-hmm. to then being comfortable with it and I remember once we were going to Catalan um, and Anthony was I was very lucky to have Anthony Anthony gave me what I call a education um, so certain books that should be read, certain cultural re- things that need to be watched, certain um, you know things to listen to, plays to see, things like that. And I was reading a book by a guy called Paul Flynn, um, and it's called Good As You, and it's basically about gay culture in the last fifty years. You know, with the legalisation of, of being gay and marriage and all that kind of stuff, and some other things. And on the cover of the book was two two lads kissing. And I remember I was engrossed in this book and we were going to, um, we were playing Catalan away and we were getting a, a flight over and we were studying the queue and I was stood reading this book and, and there was loads of other people around. It wasn't so much the lads. And I suddenly became really conscious about, there was, I was reading a book with two guys kissing on the front. What are people going to think? Uh, even though I was out, like it just, and I remember folding it up and, and, kind of putting it under my arm and then feeling really bad because am I kind of going back in the closet? Am I hiding who I am? Um, so I think the coming out was was the first bit. You know, there'll be a lot of gay people tell you this all the time. You know, you don't just come out once. It's, I mean, I think I've come out to my son about four times. Daddy, you still gay? Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> that's an eight-year-old. Um, but, you know, it's little things like that and getting comfortable with it. And I think, you know, me I know we'll speak about it later but like getting into the coaching and focusing on helping gay men because I understand I understand that struggle more specifically than understand the struggle that somebody else might have mm-hmm. um, so at first it's scary to lean into that to own who you are entirely and I think there's a lot of people don't do it and I think when you meet certain people who are just really comfortable in their own skin and it, it doesn't happen very often you just know and they're instantly likeable um, Danny Kermond at Wakefield was a really good example of that a man who's so comfortable in his own skin who knows exactly who he is what his strengths weaknesses foibles are and that's I think something that I've tried to be comfortable with is who I am and that for me has been the the, uh, the, I guess the more rewarding part of coming out is the 
that now being comfortable, completely comfortable about it and, and every aspect of it. Whereas, you know, originally I was just like, you know, a toddler learning to walk in, in game, in game appies or something. <laughs> did, did you like, you know, when it, when it came out and, and you know, when it came on the change rooms and in the public, did you feel that like people around you started to be, feel a bit less hung up on their stuff or a bit freer in themselves? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Mm. People, I don't know if it's because it's that thing of, well, if Keegan's gay, you know, we can't really surprise anybody else with anything, can we? So, um, yeah, the, the changing rooms, I was at Batley at the time, the changing rooms suddenly became a lot more open. And not like it was a, you know, like it was rehab or anything for people, but it was just, it, it seemed a less a less judgmental place, even the, even though the banter was still there and everything, it just seemed a bit more accepting. And, um, and we went on to have a really good year that year. I'm not saying it was anything to do with me coming out, but I do think it was to do with just that, that honesty with each other and just, you know, that openness around each other. I do think that genuinely had a a massive benefit. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, can you if we just go back a bit like what, what did it feel like is there any moments or examples where you you can you think back to and you're like that was a moment when I wasn't being fully me or when I wasn't being fully authentic you know is there a moment where you can think back to and think that's probably an example which I'm so glad I've I've shifted away from that um I mean, other than we might point out the obvious one of getting married to, to a woman and stuff, then, um, I, I mean, but even at that time, I didn't, I, I know this probably sounds a bit daft, but I didn't know that I wasn't, I thought I was being what I was supposed to be. So I, I wouldn't really cite that as as something. I, I suppose that what I said there about the book with the thing, that was something that made me, it made me feel really guilty um, that, I was in a position of privilege in the fact that, you know, I had been so accepted about being gay and then I was maybe thinking, covering it up or whatever. It's something that really st- stood out for me and I felt really bad about that. Um, I, I don't, I, I, nothing kind of stands out. I just know that since, you know, being completely honest with myself, and I think that's something that's, that's gets overlooked a lot. It's really difficult to be honest with everybody else when you're not completely honest with yourself. And, you know, a lot of us kid ourselves a lot of the time about certain things. So A, being able to be honest with yourself is is really empowering and then being able to do it with everybody else. I just know that life since doing that just is a lot, is a lot more gratifying, I think, is a lot more, uh, fulfilling gets used a lot, but um, it, it just... Yeah, life just seems a bit fuller when you're yeah. completely you. Do you know what I mean? You can enjoy it all rather than just parts of it. Mm, yeah. And what's, you sort of talking about it there, what's like the approach that you've got now to life? Like what other things were, what you, you feel are important for you uh, and for what you do in the world now? Um, I think living life on your terms, maybe sounds a bit hallmarky, um, but, <laughs> you know, it's, not apologizing, you know, we all have flaws. I am a deeply flawed, deeply, deeply flawed human being. Um, but yeah. I, I know that I accept it and, you know, I, I work with it. I don't try to cover it up. 
Um, I don't try to be perfect all the time. Um, certainly, you know, as athletes, we've we've done that. Everything's got to be on the money all the time. It's, it's got, it gets practiced with an inch of it, inch of its life. Um, and I think just accepting that life isn't about perfection. It's about progress. Um, it's about just being unapologetic for what you want out of life. You know, so many people are ashamed that they want to be wealthier or be in a long-term relationship or want to spend time with people. People feel guilty for that. Like there's no, I always say to to my lads and the people that I work with, you know, never feel guilty for, for wanting to better yourself physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, financially, you know, relationships-wise as anybody who's got a problem with somebody growing or changing or developing is their problem. Um, if somebody's got a problem, it's their problem. So yeah, just think live life on, on your terms and don't apologize for it. Um, that doesn't mean be an asshole. It just means be you. Yeah. If you're just, an, just, an asshole, turn that down. <laughs> yeah. Just go be an asshole as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love that mate. And it, it's, it's it's good because I can I sense I bet Wakey was a bit of a madhouse mate of changing rooms and, and um, the characters there but obviously from being from that environment um, and you talked about the practice you talk about the sort of getting stuff perfect and I know that if you're shutting off things shutting certain parts of yourself off which you know are brilliant parts they might be vulnerable parts they might be flaws um, but you almost shut them off for certain environments don't you you can sort of like you know, keep them away and then sort of find the right environment to, to do so and, and, and bring those out. Where where do you find, do you find that your friendships have evolved over time? Do you feel like you, the circles of people that, that you, you've, you've been hanging around with, do you feel like they've sort of evolved over time and, and the way that you, you spend your time? Yeah, definitely. I think um, as we grow, this might sound cold or callous, but it's not. And it's not meant as a, a put down way to anybody um, because this will happen to everybody. You will outgrow people um, and there's nothing wrong with that. You're, as you get older, your values will change, what you prioritise in life, what's important to you, what you want to spend your time doing. That will change. And, you know, people talk about loyalty as a concept. People are not, people are loyal to their own values. And if your values and somebody else's values marry up, you will stay loyal to that person all the, forever and a day. But if there's a disparity there, then you're going to find yourself leaning towards either somebody else, something else. Um, and, and, you know, that happens with friend, friends, friendship groups, peers, mentors. Um, and, and that's a good thing. We, we want to be growing. We want to be changing. And I'm really lucky that the friends that I have now are people that have challenged me, that will you know, hold me accountable. No, you can't behave like that. You can't do that. You can't do that. That is a good idea. That's not a good idea. As opposed to, you know, fair weather, milky, anodyne people who are just like, yeah, um, no, no opinion, no opinion. Like those people don't really serve you. So, um, and you'll know this, Steve, as well from, you know, rugby. There's, there'll be a few people who you're really close to. There'll be a few people who are, at the end of the day, are colleagues, acquaintances. Um, and, and there are a few people who just sit on the fence about everything all the time. And it's important, you know, there's that saying that, that you are the average of the five people you surround yourself with. And I think it's really, if, if uh, one of my mentors said to me, if you're, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's important to be looking to adapt, you adapt, improve, increase your, your friendship group and, you know, reaching out to people who've got similar values to you and just saying, you know, no agenda and, and striking up a conversation. I think people are scared to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's some of the, that we've spoke about within sort of the first month of Evolve and, um, it's really unique to me in a way, but we're sort of talking about the, the identities that you want to embody or the sort of um, version of yourself that you want to um, progress and sort of linking in goals and habits to that. It's really unique to me in the way that I'm moving into a different part of my life, same as you, you know, different chapter, different job, different way to earn money um, and, and, you know, connecting with different people. Um, what what are some of the habits that that you've got in place, mate, or that you found yourself putting in place for, for yourself? I know you're talking about in your Instagram bio. You know, you're not just helping people be better physically; you're helping them mentally in, in terms of confidence and and all that sort of stuff. Is is there anything that you feel like is becoming a habit for you that you can sort of instill for going forward? Um, yeah. So one of the big things that I started doing um, from lockdown one and, and I still, I love how we talk about lockdowns like they're truly lockdown three, return of the king. Um, so it, from the first lockdown, I started, um, someone had seen this somewhere and it was work on yourself before you work on anybody else. So before you get up, before you go into your phone, before you look at work, before you start dealing with anybody else's crap, look after yourself, spend it doing something that you want to do, whatever that is, whether that's um, a, a course, whether it's exercising, whether it's meditating, journaling, it might be as long and as little as you want, but sharpen your axe first because you can't pour from an empty cup. So I think, yeah, a big habit for me has been prioritising myself. And that sounds counterintuitive to a lot of people. And I've got two kids, you know, I've got a boyfriend, I've got, a dog, I've got loads of clients to look after, but it's an easy trap for people to fall into to look after other people first. And then you get to the end and there's nothing left for you. First rule of business, pay yourself first, right? And and that should be the, the same in life because you, you look after yourself, you're more efficient, you're more productive, you're able to prioritize things, and then you're able to help people better. You're able to look after other people better. And it's something that people get the wrong way around a lot. It's something I speak to my guys a lot. So yeah, that's been a big thing for me as, as, um, as prioritizing on myself, working on myself. Like I make sure that I have an hour for me every day. Um, and sometimes you might not be able to do it first thing, but I make sure that I have an hour for me every day. Um, and you know, I've got a piano. I've been learning the piano. For me, that's been a, a big, big game changer but yeah I think just spending some time on you whether it's education whatever I think that that's the big, my biggest habit that I would say for, for other people to start yeah love it mate love it and we uh, the next next workshop we're going to do we're going to do a workshop on 18th I've got in my mind 18th we're going to do it on purpose um, and just from what you've been speaking about there mate like how you've sort of evolved or you've changed or you've sort of shed an old skin um, and you've noted a struggle that you've been through that you can probably relate to with people and that you can offer some help with. 
we're going to go into a workshop and, and talk about purpose um, in, in, well, a few days, in about a week, I think. Um, and it's been a massive part of my life, a really big part of my life. And it's, it's been the strength underpinning everything that I've done and, and all the, the injuries and um, different adversities and triumphs that I've, I've been able to achieve. Um, and there's a good quote, you, you'll like this, you'll like this. Um, but I think it is, if I'm thinking right, it's purpose lies at the point between what gives you deep gladness, gratitude and joy and one of the world's hungers. So just as you're talking, mate, and you're sort of um, finding your way, finding your, for want of a better word, niche, um, do you feel like you're on that point? Do you feel like yes. you're, you're on purpose? So I think there's there's something, I think, I think I'm pretty sure it's called, it's called an ikigai. It's Japanese, yes. right? Yes, yeah, yeah, I love it. That's that thing in it where yeah. your purpose your, is the point in the middle. You can get paid for it, something you like doing, you enjoy it, all, all that kind of stuff. So similar to what you were saying then, yeah, I think I've I've always loved learning. I've always loved I've always loved learning. I was a massive geek at school, like history, sciences, anything. Um, I'd bore anybody to tears in the changing room and talk to anything about that, wouldn't they? Yeah. Um, but obviously you can't get paid for, for learning, unfortunately. Um, but I always wanted to, growing up, I always wanted to be a teacher. Um, and then I saw how much they get paid, got paid and I thought, I, I feel like that, that's not a good slog, a good exchange. So, But I did always want to become a teacher. And, um, you know, I thought about coaching with regards to rugby coaching. But again, like I said, I don't think that that's for me. Um and then as a kind of, I remember at Wakey, they were doing the PT courses and they said, uh, you know, you could jump on it and do it. And I started doing it and I thought, I don't want to be a rep counter. You know, that's what I thought PT was. Mm. Um, and then as I got more and more into it and I started, I, I just started doing it as a bit of a side thing on while I was still playing, like a bit of a side hustle, um, some online coaching. And I realised the big stumbling block for people is not the three hours a week at the gym. It's the 165 hours when they're not at the gym. It's the mindset stuff. It's the habit stuff. It's the, the knowledge of what to eat, when to eat, why to eat, how to do things. And I thought, well, I know that. I can help people with that. Um, and then as I started talking to people, and obviously a lot of my following on social media, gay guys, um, and then you know they started talking about the problems that they'd had, putting it all in, body image and that kind of thing, things that I'd struggled with growing up. Um, and I just thought, do you know what? I, you know, I'm not an oracle on this and I don't have all the answers, but I'm probably a little bit further down the line than, than some people. And that's the thing. You don't need to be a master to help other people. You know, there's a saying in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, right? So, there's, and I just thought, do you know what? I can help people get as far as I can help them get. Um, and, I found I found it so fulfilling. You know, we do sessions like this a few times a week. We do live sessions, we do workshops, we do, and like you said, talking on all that habits and routines, mindset. Yeah, you know, as well as all the you know your A and P and nutrition and, and the stuff. Uh, you know, the basic science stuff. But yeah, I think for me, being able to to teach from a place of experience um, as is it, 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 there's nothing more powerful than that knowing that somebody else has lived and struggled with what you're struggling with and then for them to tell you 
um, and for you to learn from their mistakes, it, it, I, I find that really fulfilling to be able to, to do that because I certainly never had that growing up and I wished that I did. And I guess that's what I wanted to be able to do is to give some other people that. I've been really lucky to have the friends that I've got, to have the support that I've had and a lot of people don't have that. Um, so for me, that's that was the thinking behind creating PTIQ like I did. Um, so yeah, I guess purpose is probably a bit strong, but yeah, I think just being able to to help people live life on their own terms and not apologize for it in whatever manner that, you know, in whatever way that manifests, I think that I get a lot of, a lot of fulfillment out of that. Like it. I don't think it's too strong, mate. I think you're right on point. Um, have you got any tips for anyone? So we're all flipping lockdown. Um, as you say, the two towers lockdown. Um, is there a, is there any any tips that you got for people that 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 we've sent some workouts? We're going to continue sending some workouts and stuff to people. Um, whether it's yoga, whether it's a workout, like what what tips have you got for someone who's locked down right now? I think um, trying to keep as much normality as possible. So have a routine. Um, if you normally get out of bed and have a shave and get dressed, do do it. Don't use it as an excuse to lig in. You know, no one was ever as productive in the pajamas as they are when they're dressed. Um, make sure you get out for a walk. Like I can't stress that enough. A good night's sleep starts in the morning. Bit of vitamin D. Um, just get get out for some. Doesn't have to be a big walk. Just get out and get some steps in. Um, I mean, basics with food. You put what you put in, you get out. Yeah, put shit in, get shit out. So good quality food, plenty of water. I mean, my, my big tips, with it being in January as well, when people always say, oh, about losing weight and getting in shape and stuff, my two biggest tips are never to do with food or exercises. Drink more water and get more sleep. You'd be amazed how many people are not doing that. So that'd be a big focus. But I mean, yeah, just you don't need to overcomplicate things. Sometimes the most complicated thing you can do is the, is the basics really well. Um, and I think that's something to bear in mind in um, certainly in lockdown. Yeah, mate, the sleep is a big one. And it's uh it might send you to sleep talking about it too much, but it's flipping big in it. It's so big, mate. I, I notice if I've not slept well more than ever. I went through a period twenty eighteen, <laughs> one of the worst years of my life. I got burgled twice. Um, had one of the biggest concussions I've ever had. And sleep was like I was going to bed and going to sleep and it's like I had like one eye open all the time, you know, so I wasn't properly getting into deep sleep. And man, I used to wake up and I'd, I'd, I'd be like, I needed to go, feel like I needed to go to bed again. And your days are struggle, your days are struggle. And that's when you get in the cycle where you feel the anxiety. That's where you feel like, you know, you need to do do things better. And, and, and then you're eating stuff that you shouldn't be eating because you need that pick me up. So it's it's massive, mate. So a lot of stuff around sleep hygiene, hygiene is um, is pretty big. Um, there's a there's a book called uh, Why We Sleep by a guy. I think it's Dan Walker. Yeah, Matthew um, Walker. Matthew, Matthew Walker. Walker. Yeah, that's it. Um, amazing book. If anybody's got any doubts about sleep, read that book. Mate, it's um, it's it's crazy that book. I think it talks about. Um, I think it talks about like the fact when you you know when athletes go in to play away games and they sleep in an hotel it's like a bit like that where I'm saying like one eye open half your mind's sort of still awake so you're not yeah. fully getting that, that sleep that you would at home and it's like wow that's a big thing that 
and it's like almost one of them things that you don't want to know in it when you because you'll be going to bed going fuck I better get yeah yeah then you start full sleep without not sleeping but <laughs> yeah. or, or warm this forearm you know if you you know you, you always want to know what's going on so mm, yeah I would yeah. definitely recommend that to anybody Man, what what are some of the figures that that you've liked? You obviously mentioned Matthew Walker there. What are some of the figures, or some of the authors, or some of the influences that you've looked at over the past few years, which have, have helped you? Oh God, you put me on the spot there. Yeah. Um, um, uh, the there's the what's the power of now that Eckhart yeah. Tolle. Um, that was. Do you know what? The first time I read that, I thought don't get this, what a load of crap. Um, and then I got into meditation a little bit and I got into mindfulness a little bit and I read it again and I was like, oh, I get it now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think. There's a, a book called Insight um, that was by a, a lady, can't remember her name. That that was really good. That was about like mindfulness. Um, Atomic Habits is an amazing book yeah. for anybody who's not read that. Um, James mm. Clear. Um I'm just trying to think now. Um, James Smith's books are both really good. Um, not a diet book, not a diet coach, not a diet book, not a life coach. They're really good. Hey, talk um, to me about talk to me about the Atomic Habits. That's that's one of the sort of workshops that we've put out this month. Yeah. What, yeah atomic, atomic Habits, like just, just some of the big takeaways were um, you just do the maths. It was really powerful for me. I like to see things in black and white. And there was a graph of, um, if you, if you, it was basically talking about how things compound. So, um, you know, you, you don't do things and, and you end up going backwards, slightly backwards. Whereas if you just do one thing every day, it ends up compounding. It just grows exponentially over the course of a year. Um, and I can't remember the maths off the top of my head, but it's something I, I'm not even going to speculate, but, um, yeah, really good. There's a quote in there that stuck with me. At, um, a change in habits is a vote for the person that you want to be. Mm. Um, and I think that's really important. You know, healthy people have healthy habits. Um, yeah, James Clear's Atomic Habits was was really, was really, really good. Really good. Yeah, mate, one of the, the bits that I've stressed when talking about that is is um, to implement them. Like I think, especially we're coming into a new year, everyone's thinking, look, I want, I, I'm going to run five times a week or, you know, I'm going to run a marathon every week or just something that's that's just too stretching itself too far and it's, it's yeah. not going to be doable. So one of the things that, that we stressed was to, to implement them first and yeah. to actually make sure that you do them. Um, 100%. Just, yeah. just because, it, it, yeah, it, um, it's it's one of those things that, that like you say, it's the vote for, the, you know, that part of yourself that, that you want to boost up and, and you want to embody even more. So you're reinforcing it all the time. Um, and it's the, the, the laws and the behavior changes. I think one of them is, is to make it satisfying and, and to even look to go with the path of least resistance. So try embed it along that, that path. So you're making it satisfying. If you're going to do gratitude, get a nice journal um, and, and, and make it something. I think this is an anecdote from that book where there's a guy that loved watching Netflix too much and it, put him off going to exercise so because he was a um, an IT technician at work he made it so that he had to be sat on a bike so that, that his computer his television would work um, and it's just like little stuff like that obviously we're not expecting to go too extreme but I think 
people look as if they're going, right, this is going to be the new me. I'm going to be really strict. I'm going to get everything done. I'm going to, um, you know, I'm going to work so hard every day, which in reality is not going to happen. Well, it's it's that it's that um, the the anecdote of the frog in the water, isn't it? It's mm. if you put a, a frog in boiling water, it'll jump back out. So that's like putting people who have been used to doing certain things and then saying, right, new lifestyle. This is going to be yeah. just jump back out of it. Whereas if you put the water in the if you put the frog in the water even and slowly raise the temperature, the frog will sit there and boil to death. Mm. In this instance, we want to be the frog boiling to death. We want those habits to to take over and there's yeah. um there's, there's a book by a, a guy called matthew saeed um called black box thinking mm. um and in there he talks about he talks about using mistakes as opportunities to get better which is obviously what aviation's done that's why they have black boxes um but in there he talks about the uh, British cycling team from the Olympics and marginal gains and it was what you were saying there Steve about those small little wins just see see where you can get 1% better see where you know can you add one piece of fruit in with a meal can you take away one biscuit out of the five that you eat on a night it's not about massive overhauls yeah. it's about little little changes and all those little 0.5% 1% 1% you know that's what um I can't remember his name, but the guy who was in charge is a sir now, who was in charge of the British Olympic team. Dave Brailsford. What's his name? Sir Dave Brailsford, I think. Brailsford, that's it. Yeah. He took everything apart, made everything like a percent better, put it all back together, and then suddenly, if there's 50 parts, you've twice, you, you know, you're 50% better. My mass is off, I learned twice as good. Um, you're 50% <laughs> better. Um, yeah. So, yeah, look, look at marginal gains, look at incremental things, look at changing things over time to compound later down the line. It's not, humans don't like a lot of change. We do not like it. Um, that's why people have mental breakdowns when lots of stuff goes on. But you change a couple of little things at one. Uh, you could change a couple of little things and then, uh, you know, let that settle and do something else. You'd be amazed where you can be at in, in six months and that time's only going to pass you by anyway. That's true, mate. That's true. I love that. I love that. It's a gradual journey towards it. Um, that's amazing, mate. I'm just wondering if there's any guys that have got any questions. Um, I've asked the man quite a bit tonight, but if there's any guys that have got any questions, I'm going to just look um, to see on the uh, gallery view. Um, but if, you, if you've if got any question, guys, give us a hand or a flipping wave, whatever you do on Zoom these days, and um, and and I'll hand over to Keegan to to um, to go through some questions with you. Not all at once, guys. Yeah, not, not all at once. <laughs> oh, Natalie. I have so many questions that I'd, I'd love to ask, but... Um, one that I'd really be interested in hearing you talk about is, um, you know, when you, you chose to come out as being a gay man in the arena and with the platform that you had, did you suddenly feel a pressure to be a role model in a whole different arena for, you know, gay men as a whole? Did the whole community look to you to suddenly be able to be a role model? Yes, I did. That's a good question. Um, yeah, the the answer is yes, I did. And I remember saying in an, in an interview very early on, I do not want to be some pin-up or some role model for, for gay people. I'm going through a divorce. I've got my own shit to deal with. So just no. Um, 
and then I started getting loads of messages through. I started getting, I've got a folder of them upstairs. I've got loads of letters through. Um, you know, your stories really resonated with me. I'm 70 years old. I never came out. I, I did this. I never had anybody like you. And then I thought, oh my God, there's all these people that it's affected and that I'm now in a position where I can, you know, have some kind of voice that other people might not necessarily have. If I don't do anything, then, it's, you know, it'd be remiss of me. It'd be, I don't, I don't know. It wouldn't sit right with me anyway. So, um, yeah, so initially I was like, <laughs> absolutely not. Um, and then, you know, since that I've, I've gone on to, I've worked with Stonewall. I've, I've gone into schools. I've, I've spoken of, you know, numerous businesses, events and podcasts and interviews. And, you know, I, I, as I always say to people, you, you know, it's just, we, you can be a role model just by living your life on your terms and um, it's something I've tried to do. So, yeah, I did feel that pressure. Um, I didn't want to do it. I do I do it now. I'll try. Nobody wants to be represented. So if you're listening to this, I don't represent you. Um, and uh, But, yeah, I, I think um, I, I am aware that I'm in a position of privilege. Yeah, definitely. I've just got a question off the back of that, actually. Um, how did the Abercrombie Fitch thing come about? <laughs> I've seen you swanning off to LA. Tell me about that. Um, yeah, so um, Steve's probably not explained it well enough. I'm a model for Abercrombie and Fitch. Um, so, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was actually on holiday with the kids in Tenerife. Um, and my agent, she messaged me and she said that... Um, Abercrombie wanted to do some modelling. It's not confirmed yet. Would you be up for doing it? Um, as luck would have it, I was in decent nick at the time. Um, I was on an all-inclusive holiday, so I just like stayed away from the dessert buffet. Um, but yeah, they just said uh, some some casting agent. Basically, what they were doing, they were doing they were rebranding sort of Abercrombie and um, rather than it just being people who who look like a classic Abercrombie and Fitch model, you know, zero facial hair, blonde, about 12 years old. Um, they were they're basically getting different people in different sizes, different shapes. Um, and they were doing like a kind of LGBT, it was to do with, it was their fragrance fierce. So it was just about like living life on your own terms. So they got a few people in, they got, um, the Gus Kenworthy was in, he's an Olympian snowboarder. They had Megan Rapino, who's, um, I think she won like golden boot for, for women, obviously. Um, there was a guy called, there was a guy from LA basketball. I don't follow basketball. Um, there was a lot of people, there's quite a few people there, but yeah, they asked me to do it. So they literally flew me over on the worst set of flights ever. It took me about four flights to get to LA, about 20, 28 hours worth of traveling. I was exhausted when I got there. They lost my bag. Um, and then I got there and thought I'll be able to have a line in the morning. My call time was like three hours later. So that shoot that I did for Abercrombie and Fitch was after like tw 28 hours of traveling on three hours sleep. So the makeup girl, did a really good job. Um, and then I had a night out and came back home and oh I cried God. on the plane because I was I was from like I was exhausted. Um, oh. and I ended up watching, I think it was Rocket Man, which is not a sad film. I was just hysterical because I was every, everything that had happened in like a mad 72 hours and literally had zero sleep and a bit hungover. 
Um, and I was crying inconsolably <laughs> on the plane on the way back. <laughs> and and the, the air hostess came up to me and she was like, are you, I'm really sorry, sir. And I said, what are you, like, what are you sorry for as I'm crying inconsolably? She said, whatever, whatever's happened that's, that's making you cry this much. And I was like, it's the film, I'm just hysterical. <laughs> It's flipping Abercrombie, let's make you cry. Yeah. Wow, wow. Um, I've got flipping many questions spouting off of that. Um, this is one that I probably should have asked you a bit before, um, but how are you with with expressing emotion and stuff? Now, like, now I'm only asking because I'm le- you know, leaving the game and, you know, I think as rugby league players, you, you know, you, you sort of, you've got a narrow, cor- uh, narrow corridor for... Um, you know, what's, what's in or what's acceptable or, you know, how, how you've got to manage it, being a tough, tough guy. But um, I think since sort of being away so, so much from, from the, 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 the battle of attrition and the nature of, of the game, you know, it being so sort of hectic and um, you're sort of battle ready, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been through a really big journey this, this, this year, like, um, I feel like it's a bit easier to just, I think it's probably something I'm on, on the journey with to be expressing emotion and um, the crying and, and stuff like that. How, how, how's that been something that you're encompassing now um, going forward? Is it something that you're feeling like you're just becoming all, all the more like a fully rounded bloke with it all, or is it sort of easy to, to be like that? Um, I don't know. I've always had a very, I mean, if you asked any of my mates and if you asked, if you asked my boyfriend, then I'll tell you I was emotionally stunted. Um, mm. but like, I'll, I, I don't know. It's a weird one. Um, I like, think, would it usually take you a, a, a journey to LA and, and, and back to, to be, to be like that? Do you know what I mean? Um, I think anyone would be like that, but. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll cry at a film. Like I'll, I'll cry at mm. a film. No, no bother. Um, we watched Soul the other day, like crying my eyes out. Yeah. Not my eyes out, but I was crying at the end. Yeah. I mean, there have been films where I've cried my eyes out, but um, I, I don't know. I think just from how I've been brought up and stuff, like my my mum was quite, was not very emotional growing up. There wasn't a lot of I love you and stuff. There wasn't a lot of like stop being soft was a, a regular statement in, in in my house growing up so I think when it's to do with, I've got better at it like uh, years ago I went, I went to see a, th- a, th- a counsellor she was amazing I would recommend that to anybody um, that helped a lot um, you know I certainly used to associate weakness with showing emotion and things like that and it's something I'm aware of now it's something that I work on um, but yeah I think I try to I'm very good at spotting it in others and saying, you know, don't minimize somebody else's emotions and you're allowed to be upset. And I'm, I'm very good at, at that with other people, but with, with myself, I think I can, um, sometimes I'll kind of just shut off. Um, and Lewis has done it before and says, there's no point even having a conversation with you now because you're just like ice. Um, so it's something that I'm aware of that I've had to work on myself, but yeah, it is, I suppose growing up, you know, being in that environment as well, rugby is, um, you, there's a, a fear of that, of expressing that. Um, but I've always tried to normalise that in a changing room because it's not healthy to hold, speaking from my experience, it's not healthy to hold emotions in. So 
Um, but yeah, it is. It can be difficult, but it's, it's certainly something that, like I'm, I'm working on it, just like you said. You are, uh, yeah, yeah. It's some. I think I've just been on. Um, it was quite a good thing to do. I went on a, a men without masks retreat um, with Craig White, and um, you know it's 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 a five day retreat, and you know you, you go in there and you sort of it's stuff that we will probably talk a little bit about, but sort of understanding sort of the masculine um energies or you know the the sort of role of men in the world and and what we don't do so much and what we what we overdo so much sometimes and and finding balance with it um to to put it into a, a few sentences but i remember this this retreat you know there were some some guys that it was an, an introduction and it's saying look look if, if if someone you know gets teary or or cries obviously it's acceptable it's it's welcome but don't try and fix it you know don't try and or don't you know it's all right stop crying you know it's like a it's a right of of releasing emotion and, and it's just being natural with with the the idea of, of letting out that emotion and and um uh, and, and crying too so which is, is, is it's obviously alien for for us being <laughs> rugby league players yeah. um you don't get it don't get it very often so i just thought it was quite good how you you were you're touching on that that anecdote um and i wondered where you're at with it i've got another question um from before mate probably early on in the conversation you mentioned got one, Steve. who's got one Phil's phil got go one. on then sorry mate because i keep flipping turning brightness down can't see you go on mate um, this is kind of leading on from your last question, but I wondered if there was a point when, when you did come out, whether there was a point where you felt kind of torn with the pressures that were being put on you by people expecting you to be a certain way because of the masculine of the rugby versus the more stereotypical of the feminine. Did you find it hard to kind of find who you really want, who you really were in between all the pressures of expecting to be a different type of person? I think that's a, a really good question. And my answer to it would be it wasn't it wasn't that I felt pressured trying to be somebody. It was the point that I ended up finding myself being a person that I didn't want to be, um, which was why I ended up going to see the counsellor. And I remember I just moved into um I just moved into to the house and we'd got a new sound system set in. Um and my lad was only about five at the time, didn't know how to work it. And I remember him trying to work it and he, he couldn't. And I, I just went off. I'd not shown him how to do it. I'd not um, taught him what to do. I just kind of expected him to know. And I just kicked off, like big time kicked off. And afterwards I was like, I just thought, who is this? Who is this person? Who is this like really angry person who's, you know, carrying on like that it's, that's not me and it's certainly not the person who I'd want to be and that I, I think at that point everything had kind of come to a head um, we've coming out going to wakey um, you know some level of notoriety, notoriety moving out that had kind of all come to a, a head that there's this, this expectation on me and then behind closed doors I was I did that and I just thought um I don't want to re reduce my kid to tears from just shouting at him for no reason. Um, and that was what prompted me to go off and, and get, get uh, do some work with a counsellor who was called Maury and she was American. She was amazing. Um, but yeah, it, was, it, was, it wasn't that pressure of trying to be something. It was the pressure that forced me into being something that I didn't want to be. like it. Uh, Natalie's got a question. Just going off the back of that... Um 
I work in a, like a performance-based industry as well, which I think is quite similar to how rugby is. You know, you've got to perform every Friday night or whatever. And, you know, even though these industries are trying to open up around mental health and stuff like that, did you find a difference when looking at your mental health from being a rugby player to now? Because I, I, I get the sense that when, you know, you're looking at your mental health from a player or performance point of view, it's about the goal of being a better performer rather than just being a better human being. And I don't know your thoughts on like these industries who are trying to open up about mental health, but are still kind of winging that in a way so that it's a performance rather than just the human. Yeah, I've got a lot to say on this now. <laughs> um, so here's the thing. All human beings want to feel valued. And I absolutely agree. Like performance, Anthony's an actor. He's my best mate. He said to me loads of times, it's literally the same thing. We go out and we put on a performance. And if you want somebody to put, perform at any level in whatever industry, whether you sit on a call desk, whether you work in Tesco's, whether you're an Olympic athlete, whether you're an Oscar-winning actor, you want to feel valued and you want to feel looked after. And, and, and that's, that was something that really put me off about rugby league. It was what I found to be a lot of virtue signaling. What you said there, Natalie, about people talking the talk about mental health. We care about how you, how you are. We care about your mental health. But their actions not being in line with that. And, you know, if you care about somebody else, just treat them well. That goes a long way. You don't need to send somebody on a course to have good mental health. Just treat them like a human being. Treat them like they're valued. Treat them like, you know, they're not a piece of shit on your shoe. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, and, you know, Lewis works for a big company and we've spoken about this a lot. It's, you don't... It, you, nobody just wants to be a piece of meat on a conveyor belt that's that's been shipped through. You know, you you want to be valued. You want to be. You're a human being, and that goes such a long way for towards mental health. It's not about getting the most out of someone, squeezing them dry, and then letting them go the other end. If you actually look after your product, so in a performance arena, that is the actual people who are performing. If you actually look after them, you'll get a better performance out of them, and B, you get longevity out of them. Um, you know, people want to perform, people want to do the jobs, and it's the same at any any other place where people work. If you actually look after people, you get a lot more out of them, and they'll last a lot longer. And you, then you don't need to invest loads of money on their mental health because it'll be okay because they're actually being treated like a human being. Yes, Joe, go ahead, mate. So, obviously, playing the professional levels uh, and playing in front of a crowd, regardless, you expect to get a bit of a stick from the opposing fans. Um, but given the homophobic abuse that Gareth Thomas received at Cass in 2010, did that ever play in your mind That's that specifically? Uh, and if so, how did it affect your performance on the pitch? Yeah, good question. Yeah, obviously I was very aware of it. Um, when I came out the, the, week, the week it was... It came out in the newspaper. I was at Battle, we were playing Jewsbury in the local derby. So I thought, oh, here we go. Um, nothing happened. Nothing was said. Oh, I didn't hear anything anyway. Um, the week after, we were playing Featherstone, an old club of mine who I have absolutely no love for whatsoever, which is quite public knowledge. Um, thought I was going to get some stick there. Didn't. 
all credit to them. They didn't. Um, and then, yeah, time went by and, and people said that they'd heard things, but I never really heard anything. And to be honest, it, I never, um, I never really gave it any thought. Um, and I think when we were playing Castleford once at Wakey, it was at home at Wakey, and I remember going down to warm up um, as a sub to go on. And I remember hearing, thinking I heard something in the crowd because uh, I didn't report it. So, because I don't actually know, because I wasn't really focusing on it. And then I went, I kept going back down to see if I'd hear anything. And it was also really intimidating because there were loads of them there. Um, that would be the only time I've ever, I've ever thought about it really. Um, and that it kind of ever ventured into my, my head other than right at the beginning. Um, and, you know, I'm really lucky that, I'm not really lucky that Gareth got abused, but I'm really lucky that, um, the, the RFL, you know, put things in place to um, mitigate that further down the road. Um, yeah, I would say, I would hold heart, like hand on heart, I would say if somebody was to come out, would they get abuse? I would say, you know, absolutely not. Um, there might be maybe isolated incidents, like the odd person, but I would say it's, it's certainly something in our game, that we, it's something that we should actually be proud of in rugby league. Claire, go ahead, love. You said um, live life on your terms, which I really like. And I just wondered whether there was any kind of key things that defined what those terms were or are for you. You know, what what kind of maybe stands out as a, you know what, that's just an absolute non-negotiable and it doesn't really matter what happens. I won't, I won't let that one drop. Yeah, I think, um, so for me, I didn't know what my terms were. Um like we'd all like to think about these nice words that sound good when we like integrity, professionalism, character, um, like they all sound good. Um, but are they actually true for us? And I did a, a course with a guy called John D. Martini, um, who does, um, he does like quite a lot of self-development stuff and he's, he's, he's written all sorts of books and, and all sorts. And I did a course and it was like a value determination thing. Um, and it, it was quite long actually. It was quite brutal. Um, but it was it was really good just to for you to get really clear on what's important to you in your life, um, and you know ideally I would like to think that family would have been at the top of it. They actually came third. There's like a way that you can go through it. Um, so they actually came third, and it was like um, self development, um, coaching other people. They came fourth. <laughs> Kids laying there, they're like, "What are you on about, Dad?" Um, but yeah, for me that that was so. That's why, like, I don't, uh, I don't find it difficult to focus on me because it's, it's my, it's one of my values, and I don't mean that in a selfish way. Like, I don't sit there and binge on TV. It's like me getting better at something or working on me. It's not just because there's me time and there's investing me time. Big difference. Um, so I think yeah, getting clear on that, and there's loads of stuff you can do to do that. You know, you just sometimes you just got to sit and like, what's what is really important. You don't need to have an order to it, but um, you know, what are the key things in your life that you really don't want to be without? And and that's sometimes some one of those areas where you've got to be really honest with yourself. You know, like for me, I'd like to say our family's most important, but you know, is it the most important thing? No, I mean, it's up there. Don't get me wrong, it's really important. But um, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, I, I'm not going to put all these fancy words because 
trying to live up to something that, as I said earlier, is not in line with, with what you actually feel is never going to last. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Thank you. Cool. I'll, I'll end on this one, Keegan, mate. Um, and it's one that you're ch- chatting a little bit about before. I'm still formulating all this, uh, what I'm going to ask you, but what changes would you bring to the game of rugby league? How long have you got? Um, <laughs> um, I mean, short on the, like your basic stuff, short on the season. Um, you, you give people more time off. Um, bigger squads, sort of pay out. It's appalling how much rugby league players get paid. Um, and that's not from a greed thing. It's from an, an, an exchange of services. You know, in any walk of life, you get paid for an exchange of services, whether that's the amount of, you get paid for your skill, for your knowledge, um, and, and it's not a fair exchange in rugby league. Um, um, what else? I think just the, that change around what I spoke to uh, in, a, in answer to Natalie's question about just valuing people as, as human beings and not expendable pieces of meat. Um, and I know that might be, people might say, well, that's the nature of sport, but it should, just because something is doesn't mean it should be. Um, I, so I think, yeah, working on that, working on, you know, that it's, it, it, I, I think it, it's, it's the values that rugby league talks about. <clears throat> this is something I found difficult to stomach was, you know, it talks about integrity, it talks about valuing community, it talks about valuing people, but it doesn't. Um, and I think if it actually lived up to its its mantras um, and what it professes to people, rugby league would be the greatest game on the planet. Do you remember when that was the tagline? Um, it actually would be if it lived up to that. Um, but at the minute, it, it doesn't, and it just does a lot of virtue signaling, talking about what it does, but not actually delivering. Um, and I think if it prioritise players and people think, oh, well, you're a player, you are going to say that. But if you prior- if you looked after players better, you get a better game, you get a better quality of player, you get a standard, you'd be able to compete with Aussies, you get more funding in. It all starts with a product. You know, Coca-Cola could have the best advertising, the best cans, the best marketing in the world. But if Coca-Cola tastes like crap, nobody would buy it. So get the product right and everything else will fall into place. And, and that is something that rugby league, it just takes it for granted that players will put the bodies on the line and continue to do it. And unfortunately, they won't. These kids will get to a point where they go, do you know what? I'm not going to do that. And then you will end up with a game. And that is unfortunately the way it's headed. Yeah, man, I am noticing, um, especially as, uh, you know, the, the next generation is coming through. There are a lot more, and this is something Brian Mack spoke about uh, in my podcast with him. There are a lot more um, aware of, of what, what they'll stand for or, or whether it's, you know, where the position they want to play, but, you know, they're a lot more aware. And, and, you know, as we're talking more and more about mental health and standards and values and stuff like that, people will sort of get their own in the compass for, for what they're going to stand for and, and, and you know, what's a fair exchange of services and, and all that sort of stuff. Like you said, so much stuff that I'm sure you've heard on the training ground and I've heard, I remember, <laughs> I've had coaches say, I've been on phone, stay there, I'm coming to break your legs. Um, then I'll, if, you, if, you, if you do that again, I'll drop you and I don't mean from the team. 
Um, like, it's not okay to say that to somebody in the workplace. And I get that it's a professional environment, you know, it's a, it's a sports environment. It's, it's about being, there's a difference between tough and a difference between like just being a, like a bully. Um, and I think time gone by, was it's certainly given credence to, to bullies. Um, you can still get your point across and be respected um, and be firm without, you know, bullying. And I think that goes along. And, and bullying in the sense of, you know what, we'll pay you this. It's not a lot. And if you don't take it, then we don't care. Like that's that's bullying someone into submission with the pay. Like pay somebody what they were, pay them what they were. Fucking okay, album, I like it. I like it. We'll, I'm sure we'll chat more, Keegan, um, for sure, mate. Because I think that's the way we're progressing. I think you know we, we need to progress and have these open conversations um, to get anywhere. And there's no point. Um, no one speaking out and no one looking for improvements. Because um, as you say, mate, it's it's needed, especially as the world's starting to diversify and and content's being flipping and thrown all over the place. Rugby league needs to keep its place. You do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always got, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I saw another quote the other day. It's brilliant. It's um, it's not guaranteed that if things change, that they will get better, but things have to change if they will get better. Yeah. So. Like it's that. got to uh, yeah you've got to throw a change in there because otherwise it's going to stay the same brilliant brilliant thank you for having me mate I appreciate yes. it thank everybody for you for checking in and for your questions and everything appreciate it oh amazing Keegan thanks mate and it's brilliant to get you on as the first guest mate um, I wish you all the best and all the luck in the world mate for what you're doing now that mission that purpose that you've got because yeah. um, you, you're very clear on it it sounds like you're very very clear on it pal um, so top man 